Good morning. It is wonderful to see all of you here. Welcome to Timberline Church. Thank you for being here today. I am, I am excited to uh, let you know that we have something very special this morning. And the more I'm around these people, the more I realize how special this is that we have them here. We have a couple of uh, very special guests with us today. You may have heard of them and their music. Truly, truly they are legendary in the music world. We have with us Ralph Carmichael and David Boyer, um, who I, we could spend our whole time this morning talking about all the things that they have accomplished, that God has done through them. But it would be much better for us to just listen to them. They're going to be performing a song for us here in our service, in each of our services this morning. And then tonight, they will be performing a concert uh, right here in the main auditorium at Timberline at 6 p.m. with the New Generation Big Band. You are going to be blessed by these two gentlemen. So will you give a warm welcome to Ralph Carmichael and Dave Boyer as they come. (laughs) Hello, everybody. It's a good day. Let the music roll like a mighty sea, filling every soul, just setting my spirit free. Everybody sing, let that music ring, coming from above on the wings of song, it's that sound of love. So let the music roll. Like a mighty sea, filling every soul, just set my spirit free. Everybody sing, let that music ring. Coming from above on the wings of song, it's that sound of love. So lift up the solid rock of ages. Come on, quote the wisdom of those prophets and those sages. Then spin out a sweet and lively melody. Land in some heavenly harmony. Pack it full of truth right from God's Word. Today, the good news of the gospel that's going to be heard. Let the beat of life move along. Well, church, we've got a genuine gospel song. Here we go, everybody. Let the music roll. Oh, I'm feeling good today, like a mighty sea. Well, it's filling my soul. Just setting our spirit free. So everybody sing. Let that music ring. Coming from above on the wings of song. It's the sound of love. One more time. Let the music roll. It's just like a mighty sea. Well, it's filling my soul. Setting my spirit free. So everybody sing, just let the music ring. Coming from above on the wings of song, it's the sound of love. And it's coming from above on the wings of 
Give him a big God thank you today. Good morning. Good morning. You know what I thought about when I woke up this morning? I thought about worshiping in your church with you. And I thought about being part of God's family. And it was overwhelming to realize that around the world, right now, during this period of time that we call Sunday, literally millions of people are lifting their voices in praise and song and prayer to God. And I'm so glad that I'm part of the family of God and Christ is my Savior. Aren't you? One last word. I hope that you'll be able to be with us tonight. It, uh, what a thrill for me to stand in front of this great band. These are all musicians from this area. And it's a dream come, for, uh, come true for me. And to be with Dave Boyer, and we're going to have a great time. You have a great time with us tonight, okay? <laughs> Thank you, Robbie. Oh. Thank you so much. I hope, I hope that you can come. It is a benefit concert for You Count, which is Timberline's uh, stand against the injustice of sex slavery uh, in our world, particularly in Calcutta, India. And there, like he said, there will be a full band here. It is going to be wonderful. And, you know, the great thing about both of those guys is we, we could spend a long time talking about their accomplishments but the greatest thing is they are just the real deal. They are great human beings who deeply love Jesus. And I promise you, if you come tonight, it will bless your life. It will be great. Well, we are now going to sing. This is my personal choir, and we are going to sing for you. I'm just kidding. These folks are heading out on Thursday. This Thursday, they are making their way to Guatemala on a medical missions trip. And I wanted us to have an opportunity to pray over them, for them to feel sent by us, commissioned by us, as they not only represent Timberline Church in Guatemala, but really represent the kingdom of heaven. And so will you join me as we just pray over them that God will use them above and beyond what they've even prayed, what they've even imagined in their own hearts and minds. If you'd like, you could even stretch a hand out towards them as we pray. God, thank you. For the men and women standing on this platform who have given up vacation, who have invested funds and are giving their time, their energy, their expertise, their experience, their gifts to you to be used however you would choose. And Lord, beginning this week, you're going to use them to touch the lives of people in a, in a, a distant country from us, a different culture, a different language. And yet they will communicate the kingdom and the love of God as they touch people, as they bring healing physically as well as spiritually. I pray that their lives and their love and their lips will bring honor to you and will communicate your kingdom, your loving rule in the lives of people. And I pray, God, that indeed you will orchestrate moments that they could not even imagine, 
that will be God moments as they encounter people and love them. Lord, I pray for your protection over them. Keep them safe. Bring them back safely. And bring them back, God, with stories to tell of your amazing work. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you say thank you to this team who's sitting there? Thank you all so much. Bless you. Thank you. Amen. What a fun weekend. I just came from over in the tradition service and we had a great time uh, over there. They had a full choir and orchestra playing over there this morning and just a great experience together. Um, If you have your Bible, would you open your Bible to the New Testament book of Acts? We, uh, on our Wednesday nights, we've been in a study in the book of Acts, and uh, it's been a great study. We've enjoyed that study. This coming Wednesday night's our last Wednesday night before we break uh, for the summer. But I want to take our attention to the first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and this is his second book that we have in the Bible. All right, this is volume two for Luke. And here's what it says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, This last week I was reading in a motorcycle magazine, which I read motorcycle magazines, partially because I, I own a motorcycle and ride a motorcycle, and partially because in my heart, I'm a biker wannabe. I'm not like the real deal. I'm not like the guys who build motorcycles from scratch in the living room of their house because my wife won't let me be a real biker. So, so I live vicariously through these cool guys who build motorcycles in their houses. And I like to read about that. I'm telling my wife that all of this is part of my midlife crisis. That I have, a, it's a Harley and a little bit of hippie. And that's the extent. That's pretty mild midlife crisis. By the way, I've received a lot of comments about my hair, and people say, what are you doing with your hair? And my response is, not cutting it. <laughs> I have no vision for it. That's just the answer, just not cutting it. I hopefully can lay to rest the question, are you growing it because you have a role in an Easter pageant? <laughs> now that we are a month past Easter, hopefully, you can know that that's not the case. Last night, someone said, well, you kind of look like Kenny Rogers. I've heard Sam Shepard, I've heard Tom Cruise, I've heard Brad Pitt, I've heard, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not those last couple of guys. Um, I'm in my house 
reading my motorcycle magazine, wearing my bandana and chaps. No, not really. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But I come to this column that's a regular column in this magazine. It's there every month. And it's this guy who writes uh, about all that's wrong with the world from his perspective. Okay, and usually he takes three different things, and it's all over the map. I mean, he talks about restrictive motorcycle laws. He talks about Charlie Sheen touring America. He talks about uh, problems in the Middle East. I mean, it's all over the map, but it's always an article uh, about what's wrong with America from his perspective. And I'm reading this article, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I could probably write this column. And, And then I think, you know, I bet every one of us in this room could write this column, maybe not as well and maybe not as creatively, but I'm guessing that if I asked you right now, write three things down from your perspective that's wrong with this world, how many of you could come up with them pretty quick? Yeah, most of us could. Because you don't have to look very far in our world to see that our world is broken. You can see that relatively quickly. And it's broken at every level. Ideologies, systems, governments, religions, all the way down to the individual human heart. We live in a world that is broken. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that all of creation groans over this brokenness in anticipation of the day that God makes it right. All of creation groans. We can relate to that as we read the news, as we just experience life, that we live in a world that's broken. Well, it's important for us to understand that it wasn't always this way. There was a day when it wasn't broken. There was a day, and I'm going to use this little flip chart to help us see this in in kind of a picture form. There was a day when the dwelling of God, which we we, we will symbolize by this circle here, the dwelling of God, which the Bible calls heaven. Okay, heaven's not a distant planet somewhere in a cloud that if we had the right spaceship we could get to. Heaven is the dwelling of God, the full reign of God, the presence of God, His dwelling. There was a time, we go all the way back to Genesis, when the dwelling of God and the dwelling of humanity, they were together. And there was sweet, unbroken, unhindered communion between God and humanity. That's how it was intended to be. That's when things were the way God intended for them to be. But something happened. Humanity believed the lie that God did not have their best interest at heart. They believed the lie that God was holding out on them. That God was keeping good things from them. Ultimately what they believed was the lie that God could not be trusted. And so humanity made a decision to be king of their own lives. They chose to reject God's rule and his reign. And they rebelled against his ways and separation occurred. And we could see that in in two circles where it separated. All of a sudden there's a separation between the dwelling of God and the dwelling of humanity. And in that separation all sorts of horrible things became a part of the human experience. Sin and fear, and shame, and guilt, and hatred, and greed, and envy, and murder, and violence, and on and on we could list the things that became a part of the human experience because humanity chose to be its own king instead of submit to the rule and the reign of God over them. In other words, what happened was brokenness. Our world became broken. And throughout history from that time until now, We live in the reality of that brokenness. We see that brokenness all around us. But right 
in the midst of our brokenness, our broken world, there is a redemptive story that is at work. The author of that story is God, and it's a story of of rescue. It's a story of reconciliation. See, God relentlessly pursued that same humanity that rejected him as king. With reckless abandon, God pursues humanity. He runs to humanity. He pursues them first through a people, a people we know as Israel. But, but Israel also rejects him as king, and so God pursues humanity by giving his own son. God clothes himself in humanity. He becomes one of us. I love the way John puts it. In John chapter 1, he uses words in a beautiful way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus comes into our broken world, the broken mess of our lives. And Jesus begins to declare really one message while he's on this earth. The message he declares is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, those terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven is at hand in the person of Jesus. The dwelling of God has touched earth. And that's what he taught, this kingdom of heaven. He taught it by his miracles, by his parables, by his very life. He taught the kingdom. And that's what Luke wrote about in his first book. He wrote all about that in his first book. And then we come to life after Easter. And that's the series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. I'm wrapping up that series this weekend, and we'll launch into a new one next weekend. We've been talking about life after Easter. We've talked about Judas. We talked last weekend about Thomas. And this week, I want us to talk about us. Because we are a part of the story that is life after Easter. So Luke says, in in the verses that we just read, Luke says, if you're taking notes in your bulletin, jot this down, Luke says that life after Easter is a sequel. It's a sequel. He said in his first book, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach right up until resurrection to Easter and when he ascended to be with the Father. He wrote about what he began. So the first book was only the beginning. The second book, the book of Acts, is the sequel. See, Jesus not only came into our broken world, he still continues to this day to bring hope where there's despair and to to mend and heal broken and wounded lives through his church, empowered by his spirit. So Acts is the sequel. How many of you have ever seen a movie that was a sequel? Okay, a number of you have. How, How many of you have ever seen a sequel that was actually better than the original? Okay, less hands. A few of you have. Now, besides, you know, like all the Friday the 13th, I'm not sure there's any that or that. I'm just kidding. I didn't watch Friday the 13th. Usually the sequel is not as good as the original. But Jesus says something about this. Jesus himself says the sequel will actually be better than the original in some sense. Because Jesus says to them, you're to go to Jerusalem, you're to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And he said, you're going to do what I've been doing. And you're going to do even greater things. Because now, 
where the kingdom of heaven has touched earth will not be confined geographically to where Jesus is, but it's going to spread all over the world through the church, through his people, that the spirit of God will inhabit. And so the sequel is going to actually be better than the original is what Jesus teaches us, what is communicated here. And so then Luke focuses in those verses we read from Acts chapter 1, he focuses on the resurrection. And he says that after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he appeared to these disciples and others for a period of 40 days. And Luke says he gave many convincing proofs so that they knew that he was alive. In fact, he even goes to the trouble to say one time while he was eating with them, because, because he wanted to make it clear that it wasn't just a figment of their imagination, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't merely a ghost that they were experiencing. It was Jesus who had been bodily resurrected from the dead. He gave many proofs. This is the linchpin to the sequel. It, it, everything hinges on this truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. So much so, this is what Paul says about it. It's not on the screen, but listen to his words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. It's futile. You're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. So our faith, apart from resurrection, our faith, this life in Jesus is futile. There is no life in Jesus if there's no resurrection. So the second thing in your outline is that life after Easter is really life because of Easter. It's life because of Easter. See, here's what happened. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we'll draw a new picture here. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of heaven, where God fully reigns, touches the kingdom of humanity, where we live. Where we dwell, the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of humanity come together in the person of Jesus. And we see the kingdom of heaven breaking out wherever Jesus goes in his miracles, in the life that he brings, in the forgiveness that he brings to broken, desperate people. And Jesus in his resurrection defeats the ultimate enemy, which is death, spiritual and physical death. Paul said that the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus defeats that ultimate enemy, death. The kingdom of heaven is broken out in the world in the person of Jesus, and new life, new creation is at work through his spirit as he empowers the church. All right, then look what Paul, look what Paul writes later in that same chapter. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So, here's where we're headed. Jesus was the first fruits. And here's where we're headed. If we draw another picture, you know where we're headed? We're headed to where we started. We're headed to a place where once again... The dwelling of God will be with humanity. We read about it at the end of the book. The end of Revelations, we read about the dwelling of God being with man. He, we will be his people and he will be our God. And it says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. 
There will be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. For the old order of things have passed, passed away. And behold, all things have become new. That's where we're headed. But here's the reality. Right now, right now we live between two points. We live in this place that the kingdom of heaven has come and the kingdom of heaven is not yet. It's both now in the person of Jesus and the life that he brings and it's not yet in the full consummation of God's plan and what it will be. So how do we live between those two points? The great thing is that the people we read about in the book of Acts, they were living between the same two points. So how do we live in that way. Well, the last thing in your outline there, and I should have put one more blank at the end that just said the end, because I know how you are. You fill in the last blank, you close your Bible, and you start thinking about where should we go for lunch. But I'm going to keep talking. So write in the last blank, and then just listen, because I'm going to give you something at the end that will be hidden, and you'll have to pay close attention. Not really, but I'm just trying to draw you in. Okay. Here's the last thing I want you to jot down. Luke says, in effect, that life after Easter has new purpose. Life after Easter has new purpose. Jesus tells them, go to Jerusalem, wait for this promise of the Holy Spirit. Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. That's that new purpose, to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, to understand that, we have to understand the time in which Jesus is speaking here. In that day and age, when a new king would come to power, they would send heralds who would go throughout the entire kingdom to the far reaches of the kingdom, and they would announce that there's a new king. That announcement was called gospel. That was the word, because gospel means good news. And it was good news to announce to a kingdom that there was a new king, because even people in that day knew that a bad king was better than anarchy. And so heralds would go throughout that kingdom and they would announce the gospel, the good news that there was a new king. And this is how they would announce it. They would declare Caesar is Lord. And that's what Jesus is calling these disciples to do. He says, I want you, I'm calling you and empowering you to go throughout the uttermost parts of the earth in a world that already has a king. And I want you to announce that there is a new king, the gospel, the good news that there is a new king. And he's not only the king of the Jews, but he's the rightful king of all humanity. His name is Jesus. And you are to announce that Jesus is Lord to the uttermost parts of the earth. This kingdom is a radical kingdom. It's a kingdom that is accessible to whosoever would believe and call on his name. This kingdom was not restricted to certain people of certain types. It doesn't matter what background. It doesn't matter your nationality, your reputation, your failure, your success, your status. Whosoever would call upon this king, the King Jesus, could be a part of that kingdom, could come under the loving rule and reign of God. Jesus, I love in scripture, Jesus uses the metaphor of a party. And he says, we're having a party and everyone's invited. No one is excluded. All receive an invitation to come to this party. Life after Easter means new purpose. A new purpose for these followers of Jesus and for us as well to announce this king, Jesus, and his kingdom. Now it's interesting, the word witness says you'll receive power 
to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. That word witness, the Greek word is martus. It, it's where we get the word martyr. That's where that word comes from. Because how many of you realize that announcing that there's a new king in a kingdom that already has a king does not usually sit well with people in power? That's usually a problem. And most of them would die a martyr's death. Jesus knew exactly what he was calling them to, to announce to the world that there was a new and rightful king. And all were welcome. Priests and prostitutes, tax collectors, Pharisees, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, all were welcome to be part of this kingdom. So, here's what happens. Into this broken, desperate world, Jesus comes. He inaugurates new creation with His death and His resurrection. He pours out His Spirit on those in His kingdom and He calls them to live for a new purpose. That's life after Easter for us, for us today. We no longer live for ourselves. We, we're no longer king of our own lives. We live for a God who pursued us with reckless abandon. And the calling that is on our lives is that our lives, our love, our lips, everything that is about us should announce this king and this kingdom. That every aspect of our lives would announce the kingdom of heaven and this great king that we follow. Years ago, there's a bracelet that came out. It's popular among teenagers called WWJD. Do you remember that? What would Jesus do? And that, that's a great reminder. I would suggest to you, if you could embed in your mind the question, does this announce Jesus and his kingdom? And let that become the filter of every decision you make. The words that come from your lips, the thoughts that go through your mind, the actions that you take. Does this, does my life announce Jesus and his kingdom to the world? Because that's your calling. Whatever gifts you have, whatever vocation you work in, whatever strain of life God has called you to, your purpose is to announce this king and this kingdom. Does your life announce that kingdom? You know, when I look at my own life, I'm, in the last couple of weeks, I've been disturbed as I've looked at my own life, just to be vulnerable with you this morning. Because I'm coming to realize how deep the tentacles of our culture have wrapped themselves around my mind in the way that I think sometimes. When I think about how driven our culture is with consumerism, and then I look at my own life, it's, it, it's been alarming to me, convicting to me over the last few weeks of how that has wrapped itself around my mind. And we bring that consumers in. And it's not about how much you have or don't have. It's really about what has you. And I bring that mentality even into the church. And we, we, we see the influence of consumerism in our culture. And we want it our way and it needs to be this way. And it needs to be this length so that we're happy and this kind of music. And, and, and it's, all of a sudden we, we take worship, for example. We take worship and we make it about us instead of about Him. Because it's got to be what we like. And it's really all about Him. And we don't realize that very subtly we've allowed our culture to influence us more than we're influencing our culture. And I've been challenged by reading through the book of Acts and the vocation, the calling that is upon the church to announce Jesus and his kingdom. And sometimes the values and the priorities and the loyalties of his kingdom will clash with the values and loyalties and priorities of the world in which we live. And when they do, we are called to stand firm in his kingdom. 
And, and that's what they did. They were witnesses, martyrs, for the sake of this kingdom. And so when the culture around us tells us you better get others before they get you, we instead choose to love our enemies. When our world tells us to promote ourselves because no one else will, we take a towel and we wrap it around our waist and we wash feet because that's the way of the kingdom. When the world around us tells us to have it our way, we choose the way of the cross, the way of sacrifice, the way of surrender. So I just want to invite you as we wrap up this morning, if you would just bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes and I want us to just pause. And I want you to ask God to help you search deep within your heart. And maybe you, like me, will discover that the tentacles of this culture have reached deeper into your mind than maybe you've realized. I want you to let God speak to you. Because He'll always tell you the truth. He loves you enough to tell you the truth. And if we listen to Him, we can be transformed by Him. And for some of us today, we need to peel back those tentacles of our culture and we need to reaffirm our allegiance to this King who gave all for us and living in His kingdom where He calls the shots. He wears the crown. For some of you this morning, I've just felt in my heart for this weekend that some of you, you have yet to be part of that kingdom. You have yet to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and be reconciled to this God who pursued you and pursues you to this day with reckless abandon. Maybe this has been a long journey for you. Maybe, maybe you're not even sure why you're sitting in this building. But somehow God has chosen this moment to arrest your heart and to remind you to let you know how much He loves you. That He came to heal the brokenness of our lives. That He can forgive you of the sin that creates that separation and reconcile you to Himself and give you new purpose and meaning in life. If you'll turn from living for you and surrender to Him, Jesus, as Lord. If you're here this morning and you would say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender to Him and trust Him for the forgiveness of my sins and become a follower of Jesus today. If that's you, would you, in both auditoriums, would you just take a moment and raise your hand and say, include me in this prayer because that's where I'm at. Would you raise your hand right now if that's you? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. You can put them right back down. How many, of you, how many of you would say, like me, I, God is helping me see some things in my life where, where I'm, I'm buying into values of culture at the expense of values of the kingdom. And the tentacles of culture have reached deeper than I realized. And the Holy Spirit's helping me see that today. And, and I, too, need to repent, turn from that and surrender fresh. To Jesus is my Lord. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Man, thanks. Thanks for being Thanks for creating an environment where we can be real. Thank you. God, you see our hands, which reflect our hearts. 
desperate for you. Realizing that left to our own, we, we, we make bad kings of our own lives. Many of us in this room have tried that. And it's, it's only led to despair and destruction. And so for some of us, for the very first time this morning, we're turning from that. And we're putting our trust in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins. We are overwhelmed that you loved us the way you do. We don't even fully comprehend how you could love us so much that in the midst of our rejection of you, you would still pursue us. But you did. And Jesus, you gave your life so that we could be reconciled. And today, we receive your forgiveness. And we surrender. We confess you as Lord of our lives. For some of us, we've done that, but you've made us aware. You've made us aware of how much we've assimilated into the world in which we live. And today we renew our allegiance to you, Jesus, as our King. We declare that you are Lord over everything, over every dark corner of my life. You reign. You are Lord. We surrender. We die to self. And we ask that the newness of life that comes only from you will spring forth in us. And that we will be an expression of your kingdom on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our prayer team is available if you would like prayer in both auditoriums. There is a table in the mall where you can pick up some of the music you heard today. Ralph Carmichael, Dave Boyer, tonight, 6 o'clock in this room, full big band. It is going to be a time that you don't want to miss. I hope that you can come stop by the tables on your way out. If you need prayer, please make your way to the front. We'll pray for you. We'd love to do that. God bless you as you go. The service begins now.